Amen. You may be seated this morning. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians chapter number 5. And uh, I hope your heart is ready to receive God's Word this morning. Part of the purpose for worshiping through praising God is to prepare our hearts to receive the message of God's Word. And this morning, I hope you have your heart ready to do just that. And it's so important uh, when we come to God's house to have a heart that's ready to receive. You know, I have found in my life that every time I've come to church uh, with no heart that is ready to listen and with my heart not ready to receive, and I'll leave the service and get nothing out of it. Uh, So you're going to get as much from this service as you want. The more you put your heart into receiving and being receptive to God's word, then we can leave the service this morning saying, God spoke to me. If you, if you have a heart that is just kind of like, ah, it's going through the motions and we're just here to be here, uh, then most likely we'll, we'll finish the service this morning and you'll get not much out of it and uh, you'll probably get to the uh, football game late anyway. And uh, so at the end of the day, uh, you're just not going to get what God wants you to get out of it this morning. So I uh, pray that your heart is ready, that you're receptive, and that you're ready to jump into God's word. This, uh, this series in Galatians, we've been going through it for a few months now. We've been learning about what the gospel is and how it applies to our life and every area of our life. In fact, through the first four chapters of this letter, Paul has been explaining uh, what that gospel is clearly. Uh, it's a life of faith. It is a message of faith. It's not a message of works. It's not uh, a message of uh, the law of Moses. It's a message uh, that uh, those that come to Jesus Christ by faith and faith alone will be justified, will be made righteous before God. It's not faith and works. It's not faith and church. It's not faith and anything else you want to add. It is faith alone. And by that faith, we are justified before God, we're made righteous, and we're placed into the family of God, where we are now heirs with God, uh, according to the end of chapter 4. Now, when you jump into chapter 5, Paul becomes a little more practical. He begins to uh, make the the argument, or maybe give the message or communicate it, uh, that we are now to apply what we've just learned and heard about the gospel. The gospel has action to it. It's not just a message that we listen to and understand, and that's the end of it. But the gospel has a transforming power that justifies us before God, but then gives us new purpose to live out in our life. And so chapter 5 and chapter 6 is all about the gospel being lived in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way to live the true gospel message The only way to live it in our lives is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul in chapter 5 and chapter 6, you'll find, will talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. Now, we've already studied verses 1 through verse number 6, and we found that uh, the Spirit will lead us to stand fast in our faith. Uh, A life of faith will have the... the, uh, evidences of standing fast in God's word and God's truth, standing against what is 
lies, what is uh, false teaching, and standing in the promises of God and who he's made us to be. And we learned that verses 1 through 6. Verse 7 down to verse 12, we talked about staying in the race. And last week we learned about the importance of staying in the race. A spirit-filled Christian will stay in the race of the Christian life. Through thick and thin, through difficulties, through trials, you'll, you'll, you'll have your faith strengthened if you're living by the Spirit, living Spirit-filled. Now this morning in verse 13 down to verse 15, we want to see that the Spirit-filled Christian serves. They serve in love. Notice what the Apostle Paul writes. Verse number 13, he says, For brethren... Ye have been called under liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. You know, the spirit-filled Christian is one who will focus on serving others. They're not concerned with pleasing themselves nor getting their way all the time, but the spirit-filled Christian has the goal to be a blessing to others by serving them. You know, during World War II, England needed to increase its production of coal, and of course, the prime minister at that time was a man by the name of Winston Churchill. Winston was very much known for his speeches, a man that was very motivating in his speeches and could use the English language in a powerful way to get people moving and doing something. And, uh, and during this time, he called together all the labor leaders to enlist their support to produce more coal. At the end of his presentation, he, he asked them to picture in their minds a parade which he knew would be held in Piccadilly Circus after the war. And he said this to them. He said, first would come the sailors who had kept the vital sea lanes open. He said, then, if you will picture this, would come the soldiers who had come home from Dunkirk and then gone on to defeat Rommel in Africa. Then, he said, would come the pilots who had driven the Luftwaffe from the sky and protected the skies of England. He said, last of all in this parade, if you'll picture with me, he said, will come along a long line of sweat-stained, suit-streaked men in their miners' caps. And someone would cry from the crowd, and where were you during the critical days of our struggle? And from 10,000 throats would come the answer, we were deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. He said, not all jobs are prominent and glamorous. Those that are going to win the war are those that have their faces to the coal. And can I say this morning that in the Christian life, the spirit-filled Christian isn't one that is looking just to be the first in the parade, the first to be recognized, the first to, to get all the glory. No, just the opposite. The spirit-filled Christian is the one that is focused on serving others in love. The spirit-filled Christian is like those that were increasing the production of coal in England during World War II. They're simply keeping their faces to the coal. In this passage, Paul is challenging those in the Galatian church 
to be spirit-controlled for the great purpose of serving. You see, freedom has a purpose. He says in verse 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. You've been given this freedom, but you've been given it for a purpose. Now, the purpose of this freedom is not self-indulgence. It's not for selfish reasons, but the purpose of the freedom that we've been given is others. We are to serve others in love. We have been given this freedom to do just that. I believe that in this passage that the Apostle Paul will share with us how exactly we do that. How does a spirit-filled Christian who knows that his purpose is to serve and love others, how exactly do we do that? Well, notice if you have uh, notes, first of all, that if you're going to really serve and love others as you ought to, then you're going to have to remember your calling. Every born-again believer has been called. We've been called from darkness into God's marvelous light. The Apostle Peter says that in his first letter uh, to the, the Christians, to those that had been scattered abroad, those that had been persecuted. Paul says, don't forget that you've been called from darkness into light. And the Apostle Paul is, is working on that uh, truth as well and, and remembering, uh, causing to remember the Galatian Christians that they've been called in their liberty. There's a calling that goes with this freedom. There's a great purpose in the freedom and in the liberty that we have in Christ, and it is for others. And he says, just remember that calling. And that's why Paul begins to stress to the Galatians that they remember this by not providing for their sinful desires. Not providing for their sinful desires. He says, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. The Greek word here is aformi. It's translated occasion in the King James Version. And it literally means a place from which a movement or attack is made, a, a base of operations. And what Paul is saying is that he's telling the Galatians not to provide themselves a base of operations in their life to sin. You see, the freedom that we have in Christ is great. It's amazing. It's a freedom that does bring joy. It's a freedom that takes off the, the chains, if you will, uh, that being in captivity has us in. It's a beautiful, wonderful freedom. But if we're not careful, we can misuse the freedom that's been given to us. A Christian can take this freedom and begin to feed their flesh with it. They can begin to live a life that is very self-centered. They can live a life that is very prideful. They can live a life that really focuses on them more than any other thing. Now, that's the danger of using our liberty wrong. And let me just say this morning that, yes, when I talk about sinful desires, I am talking about uh, things that are immoral and things that are uh, wrong and uh, ungodly and unrighteous. Uh, things like lying or stealing or uh, adultery or immorality. Yes, I'm talking about those things. But did you know that uh, if you allow yourself to get into a, a legalistic kind of mindset, in other words, where God is being pleased by what I do, and I'm earning God's favor, and it's, it's no longer by faith, but by what I do. When you have that mindset, it begins to feed your pride. 
It begins to make you feel like, you know what, I am more special of a Christian than the other people here. You know, I am more spiritual than others around here. In fact, I ever heard somebody talking about reading their Bible and they do it 10 minutes. I do it an hour. I must be six times the Christian that they are. It begins to feed our pride and if we're not careful, we're using our liberties to provide for our sinful desires. You say, but it's, it's not publicly immoral and unrighteous. No, it's just prideful. It's just that little thing that brought the devil and made him who he is. It's that little thought in the devil's mind that said, I shall be like God. I shall sit on his throne. I, I'm not going to be better or greater than him. I'm just going to be like him. And, and that pride cast him out of heaven. Paul says, the liberty that we've been given is for a purpose. To love and serve others. Not to create a base of operations in your life to just kind of do what you want to do. You know, in this country, we, we're, we're starting to kind of give liberty and freedom a whole different definition than it's had for over 200 years. I don't know if you saw the story, I guess it was last, maybe last Sunday night, at a football game, an activist ran onto the field and he was running in the middle of the game and had some spray can that was going and he was trying to get his message across and the security, of course, was trying to track him down because this is illegal, it's against the law for you to do that. And, uh, and they were having some trouble catching him. And so one of the football players, actually two of them for the Los Angeles Rams, tackled him. And the security came and got him. And, uh, and if you followed up on the story later this week, uh, the, the man that broke the law and got onto the field and was trying to get what he, his message across is now claiming that he was assaulted by the players as he was breaking the law. And it made me think, because that's the message that our culture is getting about liberty and freedom. Why can't I just go on the football field? I mean, come on, I've got a message to give. Why can't I just do that? I mean, I have the right to do what I want and get the message I want out. And freedom is all self-centeredness now. Liberty is all about what I want to do and nobody can tell me otherwise because, hey, it's a free country. I can do what I want, I can say what I want, I can be however I want. They've taken that same thought and that same mentality and now integrated it with their Christian life. And there's many Christians that believe, well, I'm, I'm free. You can't tell me nothing. That pastor, hey, just stay in your business. Stay in your lane. Pastor, I got my lane. Leave my life alone. I can do what I want. And Paul says, listen, the freedom that you've been given by God isn't to just kind of live however you want. He says the liberty that you've been given is not there so that you can provide for your sinful desires. If you're going to serve in love one another, you've, you've got to remember your calling. The calling is to live unto God. And there's a great example. I didn't put it in your notes in 1 Thessalonians when Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. And he says, I, I know that you've, you've turned from your idols that you were worshiping to now worship and serve the living God. The purpose of the calling wasn't just to leave the idols, which is a good thing to do, to stop worshiping false gods, but it was to serve the living God. And Paul says, just remember your calling. 
The calling and the freedom that you've been given, the liberty is not to provide uh, for just your sinful desires. Don't mishandle it that way. Don't misuse it that way. It's to serve others in love. And I, I, I call your attention to verse 13 when he says, not only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Can I say, remembering your calling means not providing for the sinful desires of your heart, but also lovingly serving others. The second way we remember our calling is by lovingly serving others. Now, it's not difficult to do a service for other people. In fact, if you think about it, in our society, we're full of people that serve. Today, after the service, if you go to Target or Walmart or any store or restaurant, you'll find that people will serve you. If you go home, you'll find that in your home, there's people that will serve you. To which every mom and dad says, amen, pastor, that's true. You go to school, there's people that will be serving in the school. You go to work and you'll find that there are people that serve at work. You can literally go anywhere and see people serving. But there is something that stands out when it comes to service. And that's how people serve. Someone can give you a plate of food. And they can get this plate and come to your table and they can do this. Enjoy your meal. And technically, you would say, they're serving me. Yes, they are serving you. But they're not serving you in a loving way. They're not serving you to show you that they have a mind that they care for you. They're just kind of walking through the motions, trying to get it over with. But notice that the Apostle Paul says, for the Spirit-filled Christian, it's not just about doing something. It's not just doing a good action or doing a good work. He says, you got to lovingly do that. That in love, ye serve one another. In fact, the word here in the Greek is the word agape. It's the word that is used to describe an unselfish and sacrificial love. It's something that is shown not just in the words that we share, but in the attitudes that we communicate, in the body language that we give to others. It can really show if you really love them or not. We usually can tell if somebody truly loves us or if they're just trying to use us. By the way, you ever been used? It's not a good feeling, is it? Someone's just your friend for as long as you can provide something for them and then... Suddenly you lose that job, you know, at Disneyland, and suddenly they never call. You say, who are you talking about? I'm talking about me. I had a friend that worked in Disneyland. I used to call him all the time. But, you know, whenever you're just used like that, it's, it's, it's tough. You're like, man, I, I, I thought we were closer than that. Paul says, listen, the spirit-filled Christian doesn't come to church and just look at others to see what I can get. Not just looking to serve any old way, but to serve in a loving way. In a way that shows I care. In a way that says you matter to me. I love the Apostle Paul for many reasons, for, for much of what he did in his life. But 
If you, if you read his letter to the, first, uh, to the Corinthians and in his first letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, from verse 19 to verse 22, you'll, you'll read this. He says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but unto or under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. All that Paul is saying is, listen, I care about people. And, 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 and if Daniel wants me to wear a tie, when I go to his house, I'm going to wear a tie to go to his house because I love him. That I might gain his friendship. That I might be a blessing to him. And, and if Jason wants me to wear shorts when I go to his house, I'm just going to wear shorts when I go to his house. That I might gain him and show that I love him. Now, I love that Paul says, now, to those that are without law, he was talking about Gentiles. They didn't have the law of Moses. And he says, in parentheses there, he puts, not as if, like, under law where I could just sin, and if they, if they want to act immorally, I'm going to act immorally. That's, not what, that's why he says, not under the law of Christ. I'm under the law of Christ. I'm still doing what is godly, but, you know, if somebody has a preferential difference, I'll comply with them. To not be a stumbling block to them. To not be hurtful to them, but be a blessing for them. That's why he's saying, to the Jews, I became as to the Jews. To those under the law, I, be, I became under the law. In other words, when I'd go visit someone and they say, hey, uh, we, we don't eat that because, you know, our, our diet, we don't follow that. He said, okay, I don't have to eat it. Brother Dave, a couple weeks ago, gave me some pulled pork. Sadly, my fridge went out and I didn't get to eat it. But for many, at least in the Jewish circles, they couldn't eat pork. That's, that was the dietary laws that they followed. Paul said, fine, if I go to their house, we're not going to eat pork. It's okay. I became, why? Because I love them. Because I love them. One thing that you'll find about the Apostle Paul, if you study his life, he loved people. He didn't like people. He loved people. And he's telling the Galatian Christians, listen, if you're going to serve and love one another in that service, You've got to remember your calling. Don't use this liberty as a base of operations to fulfill your sinful desires. Rather, use it so you can serve others in a loving way. Number two, remain in love with others. In verse 14, it almost seems like he repeats what he said in verse 13. He says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But there's a slight difference in verse 14 from verse 13, even though it seems like Paul is saying the same exact thing. And it's his use of the word love. In verse 13, love is a noun, agape or agape. And it's just a noun describing that, that attitude and that heart. In verse 14, it's the word agapeo. It's a verb now. It's an action. You know, a verb is a word that shows action or state of being. It's an action that he's calling now the Galatians to do. Remain in that love for others. And notice that it's the first thing, if you're going to remain loving others, is choosing to love them. 
Now, that verb form of agapeo, it is a love that is volitional. In other words, by your choosing. Agape, the noun, is sacrificial, unselfish love. But when you put it into action, it turns into a verb that you have to choose to do. It's the same word used in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He chose. It's a volitional kind of love. Paul says if you're going to stay loving others, serving others, you're going to have to choose to do that. Because you'll find in the Christian life that people will give you more than one reason to stop loving them. They'll give you more than one reason to quit following after them. They'll give you more than one reason to talk bad about them. And to be unkind to them. And that's why Paul says in verse 14, for this is what the one word can fulfill the whole law. Agapeo. A choosing of loving others. The freedom that we have in Christ allows us to choose love. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, it says, love your enemies. That's a choice. Do you know that you can not make that choice? You can hate your enemies. You can talk bad about your enemies. You can ignore your enemies. You can laugh at them when things are going bad in their life. But Christ said the spirit-filled Christian loves their enemies. He says it's not a time to blast them on Facebook for their hypocrisy. No. He simply says, choose to love them. Just choose to love them. In 1 John 4, 19, John says, we love God because he first loved us. And then he goes down to verse number 21, and he says, and this commandment have we from him. That he who loveth God, love his brother also. Verse 20 says, how can you love God and hate your brother? It doesn't coincide. So there's this commandment, this principle that you ought to follow in your life. That if you're going to love God, you're going to have to choose to love others. And secondly, if we're going to remain in love with others, as verse 14 says, teaches that we're going to have to see our neighbor as well. He said, thou shalt love, agapeo, thy neighbor. The Greek word for neighbor here is plesion. It means friend or the other person where two are concerned. So if there's two people in the room, you're not the other. You're not the neighbor. The, the neighbor is the other person in your group of two. Sometimes it's a friend and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just the person closest to you. The person that's around you. Like a coworker or a neighbor. Or someone at the grocery store or at the mall. Just the person around you. Love that person.
our lack sometimes of remaining in love with others most often comes down to our lack of seeing others. I was listening to an interview uh, with Tim Tebow a couple weeks ago, and the interviewer was asking him, Tim, uh, you've made such a great impact with your faith and with your life, and, and uh, you know, with your celebrity, it's, it's amazing how you've tried to stay humble, and you've done, I think, a really good job of that. And he said, how, how are you able to, to share your faith the way you do? How, how, how are you able to, uh, to stay, even in your celebrity status, so down to earth and grounded? And he gave an interesting answer. Tim said, you know, there's a truth in the Bible that is easily seen, and that is that God loves me as a person. With all my flaws and with all my imperfections, God loves me. And he says that I'm important and unique and worth dying for. And he said, in the mindset I try to have with people, even as a celebrity meeting people I've never met before, he says, I try to look at them saying, you're important. You matter. God loves you. So I love you. Putting in practice 1 John 4.21, he that loveth God has to love his brother. Putting in practice Galatians 5.14, one word, agapeo, love, who? The person around you. That person. What's their name? Well, it changes all the time. But it's that person next to you. Paul says the Spirit-filled Christian, the one that understands the gospel and the message of the gospel is going to serve and love one another by seeing the neighbor. Luke chapter 10 and verse 33 and 34 is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's interesting when you read that verse, I put it in your notes, but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was, where that man that was beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And it says, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. A priest came by, didn't do anything. A Levite came by, didn't do anything, walked around. But this Samaritan saw him. You want to remain in that love? See people, how God sees them. Number three, and we'll be done. Remove all destructive behavior. Look at verse number 15 as the Apostle Paul writes, But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Serving others in love will require us to change in the way we act towards one another. And Paul instructs the Galatians to not destroy one another with their treatment of each other. So he says, first of all, Remove backbiting and devouring. Remove backbiting and devouring. The two words here for backbiting and devouring are dacno and katastio. Or katastio. Now dacno for backbiting literally means to bite with the teeth. Now Paul is not saying that Christians in, Gal in the church of Galatia were going and actually biting someone literally. There's a way that you use that word figuratively, and figuratively it would mean to, to wound the soul. 
Backbiting is to wound the soul of my neighbor, of that one that is close around me. You see, Paul knew that the false teaching that was being given to those in Galatia, the, the legalism that was being taught to them uh, of not living in the freedom of Christ, but, but trying to earn God's favor in their life, he says, I know that that is going to take you down a road where you're backbiting and devouring one another. Because legalism feeds our pride. It feeds our lustful, sinful desires. Before we know it, the only way that you can go up in legalism is by tearing someone else down. The only way that I can make myself more spiritual is by making sure that this guy is less spiritual. And so you find that Paul is telling them, remove backbiting and devouring. Today we must be careful not to allow for the same thing to happen in our midst. Not allow us to just become religious kind of Christians and legalistic kind of Christians where we're just selfish and judgmental of everyone. Looking to make ourselves look more spiritual and greater. Avoid that of just wounding the souls of others. Backbiting, as Paul would put it. Avoid that. He says devouring, it's a, the word, uh, the Greek word, katastheo, which literally means to consume by eating up. When you're literally eating something like a burger, just consuming it down. Now he says, I know people are not cannibals here in, in Galatia. You're not literally eating someone, but you're wounding people with your backbiting by backbiting. But, but when he says katastheo, what he's saying is stripping one of his goods, robbing people figuratively. You're robbing them of the work that they might be doing for God. You're robbing them of living for God. They were, in Galatia, they were eating each other up by tearing each other down. Literally, they were lying about one another. Paul says, listen, don't wound the soul of the person next to you. And be careful to strip them of the good that they're doing. Discouraging them. Sometimes we say it like this. I don't know who they think they are. They think they run this church. I hope pastor puts them in their place. What are we trying to do? Rob them. Paul says, that's not how you serve in love. You need to remove that destructive behavior. I put in your notes James chapter 4. This is how James says it, and I took from the New Living Translation. He, it's translated this way. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have. But you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. I'll tell you how this happens in the Christian world many times. 
you know, I saw that Catherine is now leading the ladies' ministry. But I read my Bible more than Catherine. And I went to school. I actually went to a Christian college, and I have, like, the study of the Bible. I know the Bible better than her. So what do we start doing? So now this person starts spreading rumors about Catherine. Well, you know, have you been to Catherine's house? Have you seen how she talks to her husband? That's the Christian we're supposed to be following? <laughs> Not me. That's what James is talking about. You can't get it, so you scheme and you kill. By the way, lying about other people is killing. That's what Jesus said. Spiritually. Paul says, listen, if you're biting and devouring that way, take heed. Be careful. Understand what you're doing by doing that. It'll take you away from loving others. Notice at the end of the verse, he says, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. What is he talking about here? He's talking about removing wasteful living. The, the word consumed is the Greek word analisko, which means to consume, use up, and destroy. It's the idea of eliminating totally the other thing. And Paul is saying that without removing those behaviors, then all that is left is destruction. If you continue to be backbiting, wounding the, the soul of others, and devouring others, then let me tell you what the result is. Destruction. Destruction in your life, destruction in your family, destruction personally. You'll be consumed, destroyed by it. Sadly, in our lives today, that destructive power can still work. The destructive power of backbiting and devouring can still destroy relationships today. You can find yourself destroying relationships in church and at home and at school, at work. You can find that you can destroy the spirit of a person, maybe your children, maybe your spouse. You can destroy the, the work that that person is trying to do for God. You can do it by backbiting and devouring. Paul says, don't use your liberty for that. A pastor, I mean, hey, I'm a Christian. I can do what I want. Yeah, you got freedom. But I would say you don't understand that freedom whatsoever if that's your attitude. You're not understanding that the calling of that freedom is to serve others and love, not to feed your ego and selfishness. I'd remind you that the freedom that you're given is to remain in love with others, serving them meeting their needs, seeing their condition and having compassion. I would say that that freedom that you've been given is to be able to take away backbiting and devouring in your life, the destructive, sinful patterns in our lives. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, don't you know that whom you serve, that's who you're a servant of? You can serve your flesh and you're bound, you're enslaved by your flesh then. But if you serve the Spirit, then you're truly free. 
Paul says, a destructive life, you need to remove that wasteful living. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, but instead one believer sues another, right in front of unbelievers. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. What was going on in the church of Corinth? Biting and devouring and destruction. Just a wasteful living. Paul says, don't use your liberty in that fashion. Can I say this morning that God is clear in what he wants every spirit-filled Christian to do? And that is to serve in love. How do we do that? By remembering our calling. By remaining in love with others and by removing all destructive behavior. So this morning I want to encourage you. This message isn't to tear you down. It's not to make you feel bad. It's to, it's to encourage you. And so that we all might be awakened to the reality of the freedom that's been given to us through the gospel. The freedom to serve others. So the question is, how are you using your freedom today? Because in the Christian's life, we're either using the freedom to serve ourselves or to serve others. Pastor Tony Evans, he, he always makes the most interesting observations. And he shared this once. He said, turkeys are interested in one thing. That's eating. They can't fly. They try, but they don't go anywhere. They just take food in and waddle around. Whenever you see them, they are waddling, waddling and eating, but not flying, he says. Then he said this. He says, there's a lot of Christian turkeys today. They waddle in on Sunday morning, sit down to be fed. Then they get up and waddle out. And they waddle back next Sunday to be fed and waddle out again. And then they wonder why they can't fly anywhere and why they're stuck at the ground. You know what was happening in the church of Galatia? There's a lot of turkey Christians just waddling around, being captivated by legalism, this idea that somehow I can earn God's favor. No longer a life of faith that was being lived out there. It was a life of biting, backbiting, and devouring, and being destructive. And Paul says, don't use your liberty for that. Now, next week, we're going to talk about how we walk in that freedom and walk in the Spirit. But just for this morning, I just want to direct you to that thought. How are you using your freedom today? The Spirit-controlled Christian uses their freedom to serve others lovingly. Let's serve in love this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. Father, as we study and think and meditate upon this passage, the message is clear. That if we're going to live a life that is controlled by your spirit, then we're going to have to serve in love. Father, there are some things that we stand in and stand fast doing. There are some things that we're going to do to stay in the race. 
and stay moving forward. And as spirit-filled Christians, we, we have to. But help us to never forget that we're also to serve. We're not just to serve any old way. We're not just to serve to get the thing done. But we're to serve lovingly. I pray that by the power of your spirit, each and every one of us here could serve in love. This week, as we talk to our spouse, we would talk to them kindly and lovingly. That we would serve them. I pray that as we communicate with one another in this congregation and as we go to our workplace and as we go to school, that we would serve in love. That we wouldn't use our liberty to live a life of sin or selfishness or pride or looking for our own vainglory. That we would use our liberty with the purpose for which we were called to this liberty. To love you, to love others. Help us to understand that that's the same thought. We can't love you and hate others. And we can't love others the way we ought until we love you. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to apply this truth into our lives. Help us to be spirit-filled throughout this week. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.